Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Well, three NBA playoff games last night. One of them looked kind of like an NBA playoff game. One of them, one team looked like an NBA playoff game. The other didn't. It did not have the flow of an NBA playoff game. And the other one was just a complete blowout. We'll start with that. The Celtics, what is Danny Ainge going to do? They had a young team. They were in the conference final. And it looks so good, and now they look like they are a long way, a long way from being in the elite of the East. There are three teams a lot better than them, and the one they're playing, the Brooklyn Nets, are just taking it to the Celtics. Man, they got that lead up over 20 early. There was no, no point in watching that game. I hope you all went outdoors and got on with your life and enjoyed it. You know, before it gets really hot, just enjoyed a nice uh, spring night. That was, uh, that was a brutal game, man. The Nets just jumped all over the Celtics. It's a total mismatch. Uh, the Lakers-Suns game, you know, it was intriguing. It was close. It was tied with about four or five minutes to go there. And about the four-minute mark, the Suns get stuck on 92 and can't score for a good three minutes. And the Lakers pull away and go up eight, and that's the ball game. They just trade points down the stretch and win. And just the defining thing in this game is Chris Paul barely played in the fourth quarter. Play like two and a half minutes. He's clearly in himself. He's clearly hurt. How long is it going to take him to be right? Is the series either going to be over or will they be in such a hole he can't come back? Uh, don't want to go to LA and fall behind 3 1. Need to find a way to win this series, win and get to 2 2. And 3 1's not the end of the world when you have two home games, but I just don't think you can hand LeBron 3 1 and think, oh, we'll be fine. You, get, you let LeBron get that close to the finish line, you're going to be in trouble. So they really need to go to LA and get a game. I mean, let's be honest, they really need a game too. But since they didn't get it, now they got to go to LA and get a game and get this thing back to 2 2 and turn it into a best of three series. LeBron still doesn't look right, I thought. But the Lakers were in a better place. They played their big lineup more, and it seemed to seem to work a little bit against Aiton. Um, he had a role in there in the first half. Um, but you get those final four or five minutes of the game, and how are they going to score? And the answer was they weren't. And, you know, they didn't have Paul there orchestrating. That's a huge problem. I thought LeBron was more orchestrate uh, kind of um, – uh, facilitator guy playing below the rim, content on the perimeter, would drive, look to pass, hit a bunch. He got most of his points off threes. He they they had that stat if you were watching the game, they were flashing it. You know the record they got a losing record when he doesn't get to twenty points, and he got to eighteen and was stuck on it, and then he hit a couple hoops late and hit a big three, and that was his fourth three. Um, so we're still not seeing LeBron a lot, well, a little bit, but not a lot of LeBron driving the hoop in traffic, finishing strong. You know, vintage LeBron. I, I just don't think he's capable of it yet. When will he be? When will the ankle be better? Um, you know, the Jazz can't see the Lakers until the conference final. We'll see if both teams get there. Um, but maybe by then. But he just, he doesn't look like himself, but he was good enough last night. And other guys made enough shots and they really defend. And especially with Chris Paul out. And then there's the Clippers and the Mavericks. What was that? That looked like you're watching an AAU game in some empty gym in Las Vegas in August. There was no defensive intensity. Mavericks are sitting there shooting 60% most of the night, just going up and down, jacking up shots. I, it didn't feel like a playoff game. It was the weirdest thing. Of course, you didn't have the crowd and the energy that comes with it. There are a lot of cardboard cutouts. There are a few people there. Um, weird deal. Clippers lose. Mavericks are up 2-0. Plenty of people on Twitter screaming last night, the Clippers wanted this. They tanked for this. It's a fact they did. Now they're in trouble, dropping two games at home and going to Dallas down 0-2. All right. 
Time to get to the Jazz. They are finally going to play tonight, Game 3. It's the Jazz and the Grizzlies. And uh, let's hear from Derek Favors now as the Jazz players meet with the media. Derek, what are the major adjustments that you guys can make, um, you know, um, ahead of tomorrow night that, that you guys didn't do on Sunday? What can you do in Game 2 that you didn't do in Game 1? Um, I think we can come out a little bit more focused, come out with um, more intensity, and um, just kind of match their energy. You know, in the first game, I thought they kind of turned up their energy level, their intensity level. Um, in the second and third quarter, really throughout the whole game. So I think for the most part, we just got to match their intensity level and match their energy and, and understand, um, you know, the type of team they are and, and the way that they play and just kind of match that intensity. And uh, I think we'll be fine. We just, you know, missed a couple of shots that we normally make, had a few breakdowns. Um, you know, we clean that stuff up, you know, and I think we'll be okay. Next up, Dana Green, ABC4. Hey, Derek. Um, besides the obvious scoring boost that Donovan's going to bring, uh, what else uh, does he bring to, this fl- to the floor that this team needs at this moment? Um, just having his presence out there, you know, whether he makes shots or miss shots, you know, just having that his presence, having the, um, the attention that he has, you know, when he in, in attack mode and, you know, the gravity that he has when he has the ball in his hands, just being able to create plays and, you know, force um, teams to pay attention to him. And he's also another guy who could, you know, just create for himself and get other guys involved. So, you know, with, with him out there, you know, we're a good team, but with him out there, he adds another dimension to this team that we've been missing. And, um, you know, we 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 ready for him to come back. And I know he's excited and he he's ready to come out and, and, um, and help us win this series. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Dave, I thought you had one of your best games of the season against Memphis, just individually. Would, you know, was that the because of the benefit of a week off? Was that because it's the playoffs and you're kind of getting ready for it? You know, kind of what was uh, behind you, you playing as well as you did? Oh, it's, it's the playoffs. You know, I've been um, just just it's the, it's the playoffs. You know, once the playoffs come around, you know, you pick up the intensity, you pick up your level of play, you um. You just go out there and just try to make an impact. And um, that's what I did. You know, when Rudy got in foul trouble, fouled out the game or whatnot, um, I just thought the team needed a boost of energy just to just to get going because we've been out been off for a week. And, you know, when you've been off that long, you kind of get rusty and kind of, you know, you got to regain that timing back and everything like that. So, you know, my opportunity came. I just came out there, played hard, played with a lot of energy and just tried to get us going. Um, unfortunately, we came up short, but you know when the playoffs come, man, you got to just bring that intensity and step up your level of play, whether it's on the offensive end, defensive end, or you know whatever. You just got to step up to that moment and, and bring that intensity. Uh, ben Anderson, KSLSports.com. Derek, with all the you know strange things that have happened since Sunday with Donovan Mitchell's ankle, and then you guys losing. Jordan winning the award. How do you use that to your advantage going into game two, just kind of turning things in the right direction? Um, I think we'll go into game two probably a little bit more relaxed. Like you say, the situation with Donovan and I'm pretty sure Jordan, um, JC had the, you know, the award thing on his mind and, you know, just a lot going on. So I think going into game two, um, everybody be a little bit more clear-headed, be a little bit more focused. 
And, um, you know, we just come out ready to play. Not saying we wasn't ready to play in game one. You know, Memphis, you know, they played good and did a, did a great job. But I think for us, we just got to come out focused and, and ready to play and just, you know what I'm saying, match the intensity. There is Derek Favors. Here is Mike Conley. Was it kind of uh, unexpected how physical they were? And they, I mean, they were, it looked like some of them were trying to, you know, play into the crowd and, intim- and show some sort of intimidation factor. Did that kind of get, catch you off guard? Did you expect that from that team? Um, I, you know, I don't think it caught us off guard by any means. I think um, that was this is part of who they are and their identity, um, the way they play. Um, similar to a lot of Memphis teams, you know, just really, really passionate. You know, play with a lot of force, play with, you know, assert themselves, and um, and, and they they stay physical, and, and that's that's something that the physicality of the game is something that we've seen all season from a lot of teams. So. To surprise us, no. I think that uh, you know, there were times that we, we probably should just focused on the game instead of the, you know, the talking or the refs or anything like that and just lock back in on the, the job. And, um, you know, I think that, that, that's going to be a situation we're going to see ourselves in uh, throughout the series. Uh, next up, Tony Jones, The Athletic. Mike, is it important for you guys to, to match the physicality uh, of Memphis, you know, not only – um, tomorrow night, but going forward in, in, in the series? I think so. I think it's important for us to, to, to be physical, but not lose ourselves. And, you know, by that, I mean, not getting four turnover, four, uh, you know, the technical fouls and five technical fouls and flagrant fouls and just being, you know, senseless with a lot of things we're doing, but have a plan, you know, be able to take a bump, keep, keep moving, be able to talk and keep going and, um, and play through all that. That's, that's something that, you know, I've been been accustomed to doing throughout my whole career. And a lot of guys um, in the playoffs tend to bump it up another notch or two. So I think we just have to continue to, 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 to fight back and, and, and be strong throughout you know, everything that's thrown at us. Uh, Kristen Kennedy, Jazz TV. Hey, Mike, specifically when you look at a guy like Dylan Brooks, uh, what were you seeing from him game one and – what do you want to do against him game two? Um, you know, game one, he was phenomenal. You know, he, um, he got the spots on the floor where he was comfortable making shots. Um, got to the rim. He was on offensive re- rebounds, putbacks, uh, defensively. You know, we all know what he brings there. His physicality, I mean, he, he really uh, controlled the game for the better part of it. Uh, for us, it's, it's – you know, going in game two, we want to just make his night a lot tougher. Tougher on him to get to the spots. Um, He'll make some contested shots. That's what he does. But as much as we can, try to continue to get hand, put hands up in the the faces and and contest shots and uh, and box out and and do all the things in between. He's been playing great. And uh, it's a guy we got to try to sit down if we have a chance to win. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Mike, it's the one-year anniversary of George Floyd's murder today, and, and I wondered if you could reflect on, you know, maybe with a, a year of distance, kind of what that meant for this country and kind of what kind of progress we've made, if any, in, in, in that kind of uh, realm. Well, yeah, uh, obviously this day is significant in so many ways, I think. You know, last year, following his murder, 
songs with so many different people from all ethnicities, backgrounds, colors, creeds, you know, coming together uh, to try, try to create change and not only in that moment, but something that is still is still going on today. Still people are are pushing and, and meeting with others, educating themselves. I mean, it's just that moment has sparked so much for, for us and, and uh, as Americans and this day means a lot to a lot of us. So thankful that guys have continued to fight and continue to push, especially after we try to continue to fight for change. David Locke, Jazz Radio. Mike, without getting too specific, apologize for transitioning off that back to basketball feels fairly incomplete, but uh, without getting too specific, it, it looked rewatching the game. Like you had some adjustments that really maybe were going to open things up to open that third quarter. And then you, I think only got three offensive possessions in the whole uh, game before you got out of foul trouble. Can you go back? Like, it, w- did you feel like you had made some progress and maybe something had, had started there that you never got to figure out? Well, yeah, I think obviously foul trouble at that point in the game was, was significant for us because, you know, coming out of halftime and having an opportunity to kind of sit back and, and you know, let it marinate what we can do and the different options we can build offensively and defensively and have myself out there and, and pick up a couple fouls and in foul trouble. It was, it was like, you know, we're not getting a chance to really implement it from the way that we know it's going and Memphis continued to take advantage and stay in their situation to put up something too. So um, we felt like we, we were making progress in the second half. Obviously, we didn't that. give ourselves a chance to win, but uh, hopefully our adjustments will get that soon. Thank you. Ryan Miller, KSL. Hey, Mike, um, it's obviously been 10 years, but you were part of that number eight team to beat a number one. How does that experience kind of help now that you're on the other side of it? Um, it's, it's a little different now. You know, I obviously being on that side, I know what they're feeling. You know, I think that's what, if anything, that kind of helps me a little bit more knowing, you know, the, the mindset that they have to have to come in and, and, and complete the series and, um, you know, being an underdog and all that, and now having an opportunity to be on the other side, be the one seed, and um, you know, have people, you know, gunning for you like they are. Um, it, in, in my case, I feel like we just have to continue to match their energy. You know, we feel like we we're capable of winning. Um, we're capable of executing at a high level, but we have to do it at a consistent level, and and we just didn't do that in the first game and come with the same. Uh, intensity as they did they, they played a lot hungrier than we did and uh and that's what an eight seed you know in order to be a one seed that's you have to be and uh and you know we have to be more of that than they are all right last question ben anderson kslsports.com mike it's just been a weird 36 hours for the team between donovan mitchell's ankle and then losing game one and then getting donovan back and then jordan winning six man what 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 is the mood of the team right now how is everyone feeling going into game two um, obviously, you know, it's been, it's been up and down, you know, like you said, 36 hours, you know, it's been a lot, a lot going on and, um, you know, not having Donovan there and losing and, but then to see, you know, a, a guy who's so deserving of an award and JC and even Joe being the one that presented to him, um, just says a lot about 
who we are and, and as a team and how close we are and how excited we are for each other and, and just how we, you know, we've been through adversity before and this is another test of adversity, even with the positivities that come from JC's award and getting down the back. There's so many, you know, good things that are happening, but you know, we took a loss in the game one, you know, how do we respond? How do we, you know, handle the adversity of, um, you know, all of a sudden being down in the series and, and I guess a team that, you know, is playing really great basketball. So, um, you know, we're excited. We're ready to get back out there and um, looking forward to game two. All right, there is Mike Conley. When we come back, we'll hear from Evan Barnes and Mike Smith. Stay with us. Evan Barnes works for the Commercial Appeal in Memphis, covers the Grizzlies. We'll get his take next. And then Mike Smith, stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought you in part by The Warehouse. Join the big show Friday at The Warehouse from 2 to 6. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom. Time to welcome in Evan Barnes, Memphis Grizzlies beat writer for the Commercial Appeal. Evan, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are y'all doing today? Well, there's a lot of stress about the Jazz in these parts, and it got heightened by what happened in Game 1. Did that lighten the mood in Memphis? Did it surprise Grizzly fans? Are there now expectations and pressure that weren't there before? How's that, how's that Game 1 win playing in Memphis? I think a lot of people are pretty excited. I mean, I think everyone kind of knew this was going to be a tough series going in. They, you know, kind of expected the Grizzlies to be, you know, kind of happy to be there. And then all of a sudden, game one started out like it was going to be the case of fatigue and tired legs. And next thing you know, the Grizzlies showed the fights that they really showed the last two weeks. And it was really kind of a surprise to a lot of people. And Memphis being such a great basketball city, they've embraced it. They're loving it. They're, they're pretty excited. And I know it's probably not what folks in the Salt Lake City want to hear, but I know that Memphis feels like now they have a chance and they're, they're fully embracing this as a, as a fun series now. So a lot of things happen in Game 1, and I'm not sure they can recreate itself the way it did in Game 2, but one of the things that I think can happen again, and I'm pretty sure you probably think the same thing, is the stellar play of Ja Morant, because it seems like he's just that good and only getting better. Yeah, obviously, I think the last two games, Ja has really taken on the mantle of it's time to take that leap forward from being a really, really good player rookie of the year to now showing that this is what a star and a potential superstar does. And it's funny that Dylan Brooks was maybe the big takeaway from that game, and yet John Morant still had his fourth quarter closing instincts, and he's shown that well. So it's, it's really fun kind of seeing how he's been able to really keep that up. And really, even going back to how he played against the Jazz earlier this year, he's been really adept getting to the rim, even with Rudy Gobert. He has no fear. And it just really shows how he's really kind of taking his game to a different level, not showing that fear, being able to go against, you know, go there, get to the paint. And uh, I'd be really curious kind of seeing how the Jazz um, adjust to him now on Wednesday. 
Yeah, that having no fear thing, I think that's one thing that sticks with everybody watching him play, right? He has no fear. But the Dylan Brooks question, a guy who averages 17 a game goes for 31. Are there some things in the matchup between these two teams that are going to allow him to repeat that, or is that something he does once or twice in a seven-game series and they gotta they got to figure out some other ways to win if they're going to prevail in the series? No, I think I think uh, the Jazz have to be ready for Dylan Brooks being that guy. He's he's always been a player that is, you know, can can catch fire instantly, or he can shoot a team out of the game. And the last couple of months, he's really been able to catch fire and get his shot going. And I think with Jaron Jackson back, it frees him up to do a little bit more on the field. But he's also shooting the ball better. Better, excuse me. Um, it's funny when the year started, he was shooting career lows. He wasn't able to get on track. It was a liability. Now he's able to kind of, you know, be that two-way threat that he wants to be. And this is kind of the time of year where he really wants to kind of shine a bit. So he's really kind of taking that performance that he's had on Sunday. And I think it won't be the last that the Jazz see, but they're going to, you know, they're going to be ready for a, a guy who can be an agitator, who can be a fire starter, who can kind of inspire his teammates with his emotion. And what, I think what everyone saw on Sunday is kind of what the Grizzlies have seen the last – two years under Taylor Jenkins, that Dylan Brooks can be that emotional core that the team just rallies around as much as they do Morant. So who is Taylor Jenkins and where did he come from? (laughs) So it's kind of funny. So Taylor Jenkins was, you know, he was a former assistant with Mike Budenholzer in Atlanta and Milwaukee. Um, He's obviously learned from that tree. He's also learned from being with the Spurs as um, coaching in the G League. He actually was um, working with Quinn Snyder down in the G League, actually. So Taylor Jenkins is kind of an interesting guy in the sense that this is really his, his second year as the head man, but he's been trained very well by obviously two very successful coaches in Boonholzer and Popovich. And what he's done is he's kind of got the, the Grizzlies kind of believing in this up-tempo, free-flowing freedom to be themselves, but also give them the freedom to trust each other and trust him, take more threes, run up-tempo, and obviously having a player like John Morant really helps, but what he's done is he's gotten the guys to really just enjoy playing with each other. Like this is really a young, fun bunch. Um, Taylor James has often said that they're all kind of figuring it out together and they're kind of writing that, you know, emotion of, you know, inexperience if you will together. So it, it's a fascinating journey for Jenkins. And I think you're seeing him kind of learn how to be a coach on this level because, you know, if you would have told me a year ago that the second year coach, second year in the roster in the NBA would be up 1-0 as an eight seed, I would have said no way up until at least a month ago. So there are a lot of similarities there for good reasons because everybody's roots seem to go back to San Antonio's organization. But the Grizzlies shooting 35% from three, is that anything that's going to change? Is that something to address in the offseason? Is there any reason to fear that for the Jazz? How's that going to play? Well, I think that's it's funny because like this has kind of been like some of the best three point shooting the Grizzlies have historically had as a team. Like they've never really been a team that has been, you know, full of shooters, if you will. They've always had maybe one or two guys like a Mike Miller or a couple guys here and there. But this year they've really started to kind of show signs that the let it fly philosophy is growing. So I do think they're going to have to probably keep looking for more shooters. They're nowhere near the Jazz, obviously. I mean, the Jazz have you know. So many good shooters. Even Mike Connolly is putting up some really good numbers. So I think the Grizzlies definitely want to keep improving on that. And I think it's really going to depend on what John Morant does. His three-point shot 
has been a issue. It's gotten better the last couple months, but he has to be more consistent with it. But I think that between drafting Desmond Bain, seeing DeAnthony Melton kind of grow into being a shooter, Grayson Allen found his touch here. Um, I think this is going to be something that they really have to develop next year because that's where they can really take a leap and show that they're growing to be a playoff contender, not just a one-year flash in the pan. So it looks like just looking at their record that they really got it together as the season progressed, and it's clear that they play, they're playing their best ball now, obviously. What do you think are some of the reasons are for that, that what we've seen and what has transpired? <sighs> well, it's funny because April, I think, is when things started to turn around. We all thought at the time that when they were having, they were going to play 11 of those games on the road, we thought that month was going to break them. Like there was going to be just a month where they would have to either find a way to win or the, the, the seven-year road trip they'd be on would just break them down and be completely tired. But they found a way to start that month winning three games on the road, um, including in Philadelphia. That was kind of what things turned around. And what helped them was they started shooting the ball much better. Um, Dylan Brooks started to play much better. And then you see John Morant starting to slowly have games where he's able to take control of the game. He had 35, I think, against uh, Anthony Edwards. He, you know, found more confidence in his three-point shot. So I think what, what turned it around was just the Grizzlies, one, embracing the fact that they've become a really good road team, but also the confidence in the shooting, the confidence in guys stepping up, and really just being like understanding that, hey, you know, they have all the confidence in the world as a young team. It's time to start showing it. And I think that, that Warriors game last week, not the, not the playing game, but the regular season finale, I think that game really kind of woke them up to realize, hey, you've got to bring a little, another level of intensity and energy, and that's what's really kind of carried them. So I think it's been a combination of them shooting the ball better, understanding that these games are important and not being – and really even last season in the bubble kind of taught them that they need to really learn how to um, adjust. So I think it's a combination of all of that. Evan Barnes joining us, Memphis Grizzlies beat writer for the commercial appeal. So how much of a difference do you think the Donovan Mitchell return makes to the way the Grizzlies have to play it? And how much can we not really compare much of what happened in game one to anything going forward with Mitchell on the floor? Well, I think Donovan Mitchell is going to have um, a significant impact. I mean, he scored 70 points in the two games combined against the Grizzlies, and he was that second game, he was unconscious. I mean, he was just lightning up that second game, and I think it obviously makes things different because now the Grizzlies have to account for another score on the floor. They have to make sure that their three-point defense is strong because by accounting for Mitchell, um, they obviously know that the Jazz are probably going to shoot better than they did in game one, so it's going to open the floor a whole lot more. I think you know, it's going to test the Grizzlies as a pretty good defense to make sure they stay on point with that. Um, but I do think it'll be really interesting to see kind of how Dylan Brooks defends Donovan Mitchell because um, I, I put up a story today basically where Dylan Brooks did a pretty good job against him in the first game and the second game. Not so well, but nobody really did well against him. So I would be curious how the Grizzlies defend him, but more so how they adjust to the to the Jazz, you know, shooting better from three. I, I think, you know, it's going to be really interesting. So I think the Jazz really um, has to have, you know, still have an advantage, and it really is up to the Grizzlies to say, all right, how do you weather the storm of Mitchell coming back looking to kind of, you know, come out the gate shooting, if you will. When they get back to Memphis, what is being allowed in terms of number of fans? So Memphis will have 55% capacity starting Saturday. They announced it on Sunday that that's what the increase will be. So there will be about 10,000 fans 
in FedEx Forum, which will be kind of a, a kind of a continuation from what's going on out there. I know you guys have, I think, have 13,000, so um, Memphis is ready for it. I know uh, Taylor Jenkins and John Morant said this week that they're looking forward to a larger crowd, and this crowd is kind of a, a warm-up for them, but uh, it's going to be really interesting. In Memphis, you know, people saw it on ESPN on, on a Wednesday with the first. The crowd down there is excited. They're ready. They'll be rocking with growl towels, waving them. You'll be hearing some Memphis music, so uh, it's going to be a fun atmosphere that's going to continue what They've seen the, the, the first two games in Utah. Does Valen routinely get big guys in foul trouble? He is so big, as one of our guests said. He is girthy. So is he going to get a lot of people in foul trouble? Because obviously Rudy Gobert only playing 25 minutes and fouling out. That was a big factor in game one. <laughs> well, that was, the funny thing is that was kind of surprising almost. Like Valen is is massive. I mean, by the way, whoever said girthy, I give them credit. That's a word we don't use that often, but I like that word. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's very, you know, he has the ability to be physical. He, he gets guys where he wants them. And it's funny, I did not expect Gobert to be in foul trouble the way that he was in, and I, I don't expect that to continue um, in game two, but if that happens, I mean, I think that's what Valanciunas wants to do. He wants to take advantage of, you know, using his size and doing what he can, so um, it'll be really interesting. I think Valanciunas will have a big role this year because he and Gobert almost played to a stalemate in game one, and that's kind of what the Grizzlies hope for, is that when Rudy Gobert is in, they have to find a way to attack and produce because when he's off, it's a great advantage for them. So I think Valanciunas will have that kind of a big man impact, kind of making this a, a fun traditional series much of the modern series. Well, Evan, we appreciate the time and a little insight into the Grizzlies. We're looking forward to the rest of this ther- series. Thanks for joining us. Likewise. You guys enjoy as much as we do. Y'all take care. There is Evan Barnes from the Commercial Appeal. He covers the Memphis Grizzlies. When we come back, Mike Smith joins us, Jazz TV pre-half and post-game analyst. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by Salt City Youth Sports. Registration now open for Skyhawk Sports Academy summer camps. Join them for action-packed, fun-filled summer of youth sports. At a location near you, choose between soccer, flag football fueled by USA football, golf, baseball, cheerleading, multi-sports camps, mini-hawk camps, and more. Find program information and register today at www.skyhawks.com. Time to welcome in Mike Smith, Utah Jazz Analyst for AT&T Sportsnet. Mike, good morning and welcome back to the show. Good morning, guys. So How's curi- everybody doing? I'm right. cu- we're good. I'm curious, since you obviously played at BYU in the 80s, and then you played in the NBA, and then you broadcast for a long time with the Clippers, and now the Jazz. Have you ever seen anything like what happened with Donovan Mitchell in the playoff opener? He's out for a long time. He's good to go. No, he's not. And the team's got to go out there and kind of short notice and adapt without him. It really was a little surreal, right? Crazy. Uh, I think Rudy probably said it best, right? We didn't find out till about 4 o'clock that he wasn't going to play. And so I think it it affected him, right? The, the, the surprise factor, here you are playing, or, you know, you got all, 
But what I've never seen before is what happened all week, right, with the play-in games. Here are the Jazz are practicing all week long and don't know who they're going to play until late in the week. That was a little bizarre. So that throws your preparation off a little bit. And then all of a sudden to be thinking we get our star back and at the last minute he's a scratch. I think it affected him. There's no question. Uh, I think I said on the air the other night that Memphis looked ready and the Jazz looked rusty. And I think that assessment was fair, but that's not even taking into the fact that, you know, the whole Donovan surprise thing where you prepared for a week and said, oh, you know, here's how we're going to attack, here's how we're going to play. And, guys, I think John Morant has a size-strength advantage on the Jazz if Donovan's not out there. You saw that. The kid can really get wherever he wants to go, so he becomes a, a, a tough matchup. As the team gets together and starts preparing and then they get to a couple hours before the game, what would you describe or how would you describe what the mood of these guys would be? I was thinking about it, and the only thing I can compare it to is like, because usually the, the reason this is a really different aspect, because usually when you're, on your own team, you know the inner workings, right? You know that, you know, Kevin McHale's out tonight, my teammate, or Larry Bird can't go tonight. You know that because of shoot-around and your own preparation, which is kept secret from the other team, right? Their coaches are even clandestine in their press conferences. He's questionable, or that'll be a game-time decision. But in the inner workings of your team, you know that. The only thing I can really compare it to, because this is so unique to me, is that oftentimes you'll get news late, you know, before tip-off that a certain star on another team is not playing. And, you know, coaches kind of have to manage the emotions of players that way, right? Like, all of a sudden, you're playing the Atlanta Hawks in the Eastern Conference Finals and Dominique's not going, right? There's a tendency to relax and say, crap, their 30-point-a-game guy's not going to play. And so it just, I don't know. I, I, I think it threw them a little bit. Um, I think they were over-anxious to get started. Let's just eliminate the Donovan thing because it looks like he's going to play from now on, and I'm pretty convinced with Donovan and a healthy Donovan in the lineup they can beat this Memphis team. But uh, other than that, like, it just was a weird game. It was a weird first half. I found the Jazz rusty, yes. I found them a little over-anxious. And thus, you could tell by the way their offense flowed, or better said, didn't flow. Right? Bogey doesn't score. The shot selection was poor. Rudy gets two shots. I mean, it just was different and weird. And I know the results of the three-ball are just astounding, right? Yang misses five, and Conley misses eight, and Clarkson misses all eight. That just doesn't happen in a regular season game. So I just felt like they were so anxious to get out there and do it and prove they could that as a result, it bit them in the butt. And if you could have reversed the halves, right, and just maybe the second half was their first half, I think they win the game. But as a result, gosh, they allowed Memphis to believe that they could win in that second quarter. That was the whole key to the game. They created and allowed Memphis to say, okay, we got a chance. 
and thus they got him. So all of that is in the rearview mirror and is a fact, and yet I sit here strangely calm thinking the Jazz are going to win game two, the Jazz are going to win this series in five or six games. I have so little doubt about it, I'm doubting myself about my lack of doubt, if that makes any sense. (laughs) But, hey, I overthink stuff all the time. That's why PK's laughing. It's like, well, at least he came clean and I didn't have to say it. At least he's got a little self-awareness after all these years. But do you have that level of confidence in the Jazz right now? Um, the answer is yes. Like, Donovan's going to play. The Jazz are going to be who they are. You know, two of my keys are, like, one is trust. you got to trust what you've seen for 72 games. So trust the system. Trust your shot. You can't all of a sudden now become scared to play and scared to be somebody you weren't. Go be who you were for all those games. Go be the team that beat Memphis three times in the regular season. So trust is huge. And I believe it. I, I thought I thought Jazz in six from the get-go. I did not anticipate a loss. But then again, I didn't know Donovan wasn't going to play. And the other factor for me is Rudy's got to be tough. Rudy's got to be strong. And, and he's always strong on the defensive end. He's got to be strong on the offensive end. Hold his position. Finish high. Keep the ball. You know, catch those lobs. And... When Rudy's that guy on both ends, that changes the dynamic considerably. And, and he's got a tough matchup with Balanchunas. Do you have any concern that Donovan might come out overhyped and just try to do stuff that, that is beyond maybe the framework of what they established? Oh, I think it's a distinct possibility. Well, that's not good. Uh, No, I mean, I think it's a distinct possibility that, you know, he he could want to do too much. There's no question. Uh, But, you know, this is third-year Donovan, two-time All-Star Donovan, who has a playoff series and one incredible playoff series under his belt. So, different dynamic. But, I mean, does the possibility exist? Yes. I, I felt like the Jazz themselves felt that way in game one. Let's go show them. Let's go do it. And they were overhyped and, you know, a little too anxious. So Donovan could be. Let's hope he isn't. Let's hope he lets the game come to him. But, I mean, I'm excited. Guys, this is, this is the best time of year. This is, this is thinking what you play for. Uh, I was involved in three years of playoffs with the Celtics, and as a Clipper player, we didn't make it to the playoffs. I'm sure that comes as a surprise to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, it just, it's a different level. It's a notch up. It, it's, and, and, you know, the vets, it was interesting for me to watch guys like Bird and McHale handle it. They, they were prepared mentally to handle it. It was... It was impressive, you know, that they could ratchet up the energy and ratchet up the intensity, but yet handle their nerves. And that's what I talk about when I talk about trust and freedom. And, you know, you got to trust what you've done. You know, Mickelson went in the PGA at 50, right? This yeah. had to stay in the moment and hit one shot at a time. Is that not the greatest thing we've ever seen in golf? I think it's the greatest accomplishment in golf history. I really do. 
See, I tried to explain that to Bob Casper and DJ the other day, and they scoffed at me. And that's what I was saying. The greatest accomplishment in golf. And Mike Smith just backed it up. So I rest my case. Absolutely. Uh, two, th- and- two things here. Mike's wrong, and you're a Sun Devil homer. Boom. <laughs> there it is. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know the PK-Arizona uh, State connection. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. But, listen, you could get me started on Bobby Casper and Billy. If he's the greatest player that no one cared about or knew about, it's all because of the own with just being promoted. I kind of left to his that's another day for another story. We're talking hoops and playoffs. My favorite time of the year. I think that the thing that with all the stuff that's happening with Donovan that really needs to be focused on but is getting obscured, and I expect Quinn Snyder is beating this into the ground, and I don't think it's just with Rudy and Favors. and I think this is a – any five guys on the court are responsible for this. You can't give up that many offensive rebounds. That's too many extra possessions. It's too many extra shots. That bothered me way more than the turnovers, actually. And I know the turnovers were driving people nuts, but all those second shots, 16 is really twice as many as you should be giving up. I always think offensive rebounds should be in that 8-9 range. Once you get into double digits, I start raising an eyebrow. Ten's uh, one thing. Right. You know, the, the Jazz had twelve. That's actually a really good number. G- Grizzlies ought to be talking to their players about guys. Twelve's a little too many. No, you're you're right because second chance points wins possessions, right? And Memphis had how many more shots than the Jazz? I think Memphis had a hundred shots in the game, and the Jazz were in the eighty-two range. The Jazz did shoot more free throws, but when you win more possessions, more chances. And listen, this is this is really a. a a matchup of two contrasting styles. You've got the New Age Jazz team, which is built out of the mold of the Warriors and the Phoenix Suns of the Nash era, where they're going to drive and kick and pick and roll and create havoc and chaos and then kick it out to order, and that order being the three-point shooters, perfectly established around the perimeter. And their whole premise, aside from Donovan's greatness, is those guys got to make shots. So O'Neal and Yang and Ingles and these guys, they got to make shots. And if they make shots, they're going to beat teams. Now you got Memphis. It's not grid and grind Memphis with Conley and Gasol and Zach Randolph that the Clippers face many times in the playoffs. It's not those guys, but it still is a contrasting style. It's still old school because they don't shoot the three well. They're athletic and big at the guard spot, which helps them against the Jazz and the Conley matchup. But they have a, a paint presence, which is what you're talking about, DJ. They, they can offensive rebound. They can throw the ball to Valanchunas on a deep catch and a post-up. And he's big enough and girthy enough that he's going to give Gobert trouble because he's going to go into him. And he shoves Gobert. He's stronger, it looks like. He, lower center of gravity, he's moving him around. So this is a battle. I think you'll see a lot of favors in this series to contrast or you know combat Valanchunas and what he presents. and I mean, just think of the paint, right? Morant's going to score in the paint. They're going to throw the ball to Valanchunas. And then, of course, you can't let them get out and run. But they're not world beaters. You know, there are a few games over 500. The Jazz were, you know, 52 and 20. So you should take care of business. So now for the first time in five weeks, Joe Ingles goes back to the bench 
You're Quinn Snyder. What are you telling him to make sure that he maintains his level of effectiveness? Because he's an awful important piece of the puzzle that we got going here. Yeah, he's he's the playmaker extraordinaire. He wears multiple hats. He's clever. You know, he's sneaky. He's tricky. And he can shoot the lights out. He had arguably one of the greatest shooting years we've seen. Uh, He almost goes a 50-40-90 for a guy who had never shot higher than, say, 75% from the line. It just was a marvelous shooting year. No, you just tell Joe to be Joe. Uh, The the bench factor is just, I don't know, at this this point in Joe's career, it's not not about being established or you know, getting credibility from his peers. He now has it. You know, just the fact of being runner-up to six-man of the year, he's in that discussion. Jordan was the hands-down runaway winner, but here's Joe, his teammate. I think that was unprecedented for both guys to be one-two from the same team. It gives you an idea of the Jazz depth. But I don't worry about Joe. I really don't. He's got to shoot well for the Jazz to win, but I think, I think he'll do that. So just to be clear, Mike, the reason that the Tiger Slam is the best, most difficult, most incredible thing I've seen in golf is that I think I might see another guy who is 50 win a major championship. Athletes are extending their careers. LeBron, title at 35, Brady at 43. But I'm never going to see another golfer win four straight majors ever. That part, that part is probably true. Thank you! Um, that, that, that part is true, but I thought we were talking about one singular event. Right, right. So, so let's, if you want to let, Yeah, wanna let's go include five or six events, Mike. Let's just change the goalposts to come up with your point. Whatever you okay. want to do, Mike, the floor is yours. Change all the rules, buddy. Nope, I'm fine with that. If we're going to have the best pure point guard conversation with Bowler, let's have it. Go ahead, Mike. That is the best year in golf, no question. I mean, he was so dominant, it was ridiculous. But this one event, yeah. come on. Yeah, exactly. Fill the thrill. I thought, I thought my boy Nance was going to say, Phil at 50. Oh, I like I it. I think Nance said, Phil, Phil defeats father time. So he had something up his sleeve anyway. Yeah, Phil. See, Phil and I, we're like brothers, man. I mean, his mother-in-law. Same age? Uh, maybe a little older by one one other guy, but uh, <laughs> uh, Phil's mother-in-law, Mike, has been in my house in my living room in Sandy, Utah. How about that? You're kidding. So a- it, was Amy raised up here? Yes, she went to Hillcrest High. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, she went to get Hillcrest. out of here. Yes, the pride, the pride, the pride of Marty Haas. Did Marty go to Hillcrest? Hillcrest High. Oh, then, yeah. Then, Marty yeah. is not only. Marty's not only state runner-up in basketball, they lose to Brighton, but I think they win the football championship. Marty is also the 100-meter state champion in running or track, and he's state champion center fielder on the baseball team. How was he really? I did not know Yeah, that, that was the Hillcrest, the Hillcrest Huskies, 1984 or 85. Oh, cool. And I'm from California. How the heck do I know that? Because <laughs> you played with Marty, would be my guess. So, but <laughs> Marty was yeah, busting true. chops on the bus, that's why. Uh, but yeah, yeah, true. She went to Hillcrest, uh, grew up in Sandy. Her mother had a little dance to the studio in her house and taught all the oh. girls in the neighborhood dance. Plus, she was a big sports fan. So they since they moved down to San Diego years ago. But uh, 
Yeah, when several years back, she was a big sports fan. I got to know her well, and she came over to my house a couple times for some from, for some uh, stuff. Wait, 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 DJ. He's now saying that he dated her, that they were an item in high school, that he had her before. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, I, I, come on. Get, get this. Amy McBride was a Phoenix Suns dancer, and I grew up in Phoenix, so I'm sure she had heard about me at some point. So, so Mike, here's, here's, here's the deal. Because you've done the show so many times, you know us, but because you did it a lot when you were living in California, you weren't listening to the show, you don't know the backstory. Future shows as you come on, we'll always give you one backstory. PK's got hilarious Jersey stories. He may or may not have mobbed up gambling relatives. He may or may not have stolen his sister's car and wrecked it when he was specifically told not to take it. There's a lot of stories out there you got to hear. Well, you're right about all those things. Calling you from California and flying in to do the jazz games leaves me very limited. In my DJ and PK knowledge, even yep. though I know you guys are the number one show. But mm-hmm. I'm moving up here. Yeah. So yeah. you won't be able to push things past me anymore after this. Exactly. All right. Well, we'll get you up to speed. Thanks, Mike. All right, guys. Go Jazz. There's Mike Smith, Jazz pre-half and post-game TV analyst. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next.